Okay, welcome to week two of Spooky Season. I don't think we could do a series called Spooky Season or do a teaching on spiritual warfare in the month of October without talking about the devil. All right, as soon as I say that, there are some of you that gasp, you know? You are not prepared to talk about he who must not be named this morning, all right? You're not even Catholic, but sitting there in your seat, you just signed your, just cross yourself. You're like, hey, can't be too careful when you're talking about you know who, right? And then there are others of you, and when I say that we're going to be talking about Satan this morning, you don't gasp, you groan. You're like, oh, are you kidding me? What is it with Christians? Why are they so preoccupied and scared of this guy with a pointy beard and red pajamas? Like, seriously... The devil is something that people latched onto many centuries, even millennia ago, when they couldn't understand the world, and he was a way of describing evil, and, but it was all superstition. And we're sophisticated, modern, educated people. We know better now. Wouldn't we be better off? Wouldn't the world be better off if Christians would stop worrying about the devil and start worrying about themselves? Hello. I like how C.S. Lewis, he's a famous author, you know, he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia and a bunch of other stuff. I quote him every other sermon. Uh, I like how C.S. Lewis put it back in the 1950s. He said this, there are two equal and opposite errors humanity can fall into when it comes to the devil. One is to disbelieve his existence. The other is to believe and to feel an unhealthy and excessive interest in him. We can go to one of two extremes. Either we don't care at all, we don't think it's important, or we think it's all a fairy tale, or we get so wrapped up in it. Either we're terrified of it, or we're like, ooh, the devil sounds more fun. Let's learn about him, right? We can go to either one of these two extremes. And so what I want to do today in week two of Spooky Season is I want to look at what the scriptures actually have to say on the subject of the devil, on the subject of evil spirits, on the demonic. And this is going to be an introduction. I certainly can't exhaust everything that the Bible has to say. But I want to ask questions like, when it comes to the devil, should we fear him? Should we fight him or should we forget him? Which of those three or something else altogether? I want to help address the question, how would I know if I were under demonic attack? Like, how would I actually know that? Is it all like spinning heads and exorcisms and scary voices and things like that? If I can't find a parking spot at the Walmart parking lot, is that satanic affliction? Probably not. But I will tell you, all those closed, unused checkout stations, that's the work of the devil, my friends. I don't understand why they would put in 25 self-checkout lanes and then not have them open. Oh, you need proof the devil's... No, I'm just kidding. All right, all right, all right. So I want to answer some of those questions, okay? And so what I want to do is start our time together with a verse from Colossians chapter number two. Just one verse. This is our theme verse for today. I love this. This is from the Passion Translation, which is not really a translation I rely on too much, but um, I really like the way it puts Colossians 2.15. So look at what the scripture says here. Then Jesus, meaning after he came to earth, he lived a perfect life for every single one of us. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. I've done a lot of dumb things, and I know I've broken a lot of God's rules. Whatever those might be, I'm sure that I have broken some of them. You know, Jesus never did that. That's one of the things we believe about him, that he was the perfect savior. And part of what made him perfect is that he never did anything wrong. As a little boy, he never disobeyed Mary and Joseph. Can you imagine if your son never talked back? What's up? That must have been wild for them, right? And then like, so Jesus was born and then his half-brother James came along and they're like, you are a terror. You don't listen at all. Look at your brother. Jesus never gossiped about anybody. 
He never took advantage of anybody, male or female. He never stole anything. He never lied. He never hurt anyone. Jesus lived this perfect life. And then the Bible says, despite his perfection, he was put to death on the cross. And it looked like his whole life, his perfection had been wasted. But of course, it was all a part of God's glorious plan because after Jesus was crucified and put into the grave, when it seemed like the darkness had won, Jesus rose back to life and proved that God can triumph over any single evil. After this, then Jesus made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of Satan, stripping away from them every weapon, disarmed them, defanged them. He took away all their spiritual authority and their power to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. I don't know, man. This verse gives me goosebumps. I just get hyped on it. And if it doesn't get you hyped reading it the first time, my hope is by the time we get finished, it will. So uh, this single passage communicates our bottom line for today. The one thing that I want you to walk out of here realizing or understanding from the scriptures. You ready for it? Simple. Evil spirits are real and really defeated. Evil spirits are real and they are really defeated. These two truths together will, will change the way you approach your life. Now, either of these truths on their own actually will, will uh, it'll backfire. It'll cause you some issues and some problems. But you understand these two things together, and boy, does it, it empowers you to move forward in, in God's calling. So let's start with this first thought that evil spirits are real. They are real, according to the Bible. Anyway, the Bible is crystal clear that demons and devils do exist. Jesus certainly believed that the demonic realm was real. You know that, right? 25% of everything Jesus taught and all the miracles he did related to Satan and his minions. Uh, somebody counted and they said that Jesus had nearly 30 encounters in the scripture with the devil or demons or people that were possessed by them. You guys, this isn't like some fringe part of our faith. It's very easy to think, oh yeah, I mean, I know the charismatics are really into this sort of stuff and the, the weirdos, not the charismatics are weirdos, but like the, the ones that are even further than the charismatics. Um, I know they really get into this, but like the church at large doesn't really take this seriously. Well, then the church at large ain't reading the Bible because the spiritual realm is present like from page one of the Bible all the way through to the very last page. The scripture presents this as reality. This is something that actually exists. Now, most people are able to ignore this reality because we can't see the reality with our eyes. And in the modern world, we have a tendency to deny something that we cannot see. But how many of you realize just because you can't see something doesn't mean it's not there? Consider that right now, this room is full of pictures and music. Do you realize that? Swirling all around you are radio and TV signals. There is music, literally songs and movies and TV shows that are everywhere in this auditorium. We simply can't see them. But the fact that we can't see them with our eyes does not mean that they are not there, right? Same thing with the spiritual realm, okay? Consider the fact that, <laughs> uh, you're not gonna like this one too much, but I'm gonna go ahead and do it anyway. Okay, consider the fact that there is this invisible world that is present in every single one of our lives. That there are these tiny, 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 tiny little bugs 
call microbes. And these microbes actually dictate like good stuff and bad stuff inside of each one of us. You know, these microbes are responsible for healthy digestion inside of our gut. And they're responsible for giving us the flu or that other one that we're not going to talk about today. Um, If you really want to get creeped out, this is true. Scientists estimate that more than half of your body cells are not actually you cells, they are foreign bacteria. About 56% of all the cells by weight on your body are bacteria. So turn to your neighbor, look them up and down, and say, gross. (laughs) Are you tracking with me? There are invisible realms all around us. Just because we can't see them or we couldn't see them for thousands of years and finally we figured out a way to to recognize that they were there, it doesn't mean that they didn't exist before we were able to see them. There is a spiritual realm that really does exist and I know you can't see it, so it is easy to ignore, but the Bible presents it as a fact and this fact is so important that if we ignore it, we're actually more vulnerable to it. So we gotta be careful, okay? We've gotta be careful. We've got to recognize that the spiritual realm has the authority or the ability rather to impact the physical realm and vice versa. Do you know the physical realm can impact what we typically consider the spiritual realm? So we have this tendency to think that there is like a, a spiritual dimension and there are spiritual beings that inhabit the spiritual dimension. And then there are physical beings like us that inhabit the physical dimension. And we're separated by some sort of dimensionality or a veil or something, whatever it might be. And it's like, we don't really go to their side. They don't come to our side very much anyway. It's just like the ability to interact between these two spheres is limited. But that's not what the scripture teaches. Did you know the Bible teaches that there is no dichotomy between the physical and the spiritual? Do you realize that? We tend to think that way. We live in the physical and then there's the spiritual. No, sir. No, ma'am. We live in the physical, spiritual realm. It's one thing. Angels and demons and humans, we are all physical and spiritual beings. And we have the ability to influence both of those aspects of the world and universe that we live in. If that weren't true, if there weren't a spiritual realm that could influence the physical and a physical that could influence the spiritual, what are we doing here in this room today? What is the point, you guys? The very nature of our faith is that there is a spiritual realm that can actually change the physical realm and vice versa. I know it's gonna make me sound crazy. I don't even care, you guys. Prayer is real. It changes things. I've seen it. Possession is real. Thank God deliverance is also real. Spiritual warfare is real. The scripture presents these as realities and you can ignore them, but simply because you ignore them doesn't mean that they don't exist. So the word presents these evil spirits as real. But, and, and well, and I'll say since, spiritual knowledge brings spiritual power. Hello, knowledge is power. G.I. Joe was right. Knowing is half the battle. Let me tell you, <laughs> let me tell you a little bit about the devil himself. I'm going to give you some facts about him. And I'm curious how much of this you already knew. So let's see if you knew these things. I'm going to put a bunch of like um, facts and truths that we gain from the scripture about the devil here. And uh, we'll just walk through them pretty quickly. Okay, so the first thing we learn about the scripture, or the first thing I want to highlight anyway, is that the devil was a created angel. Do you know that? The devil is an angel, okay? Job chapter number 
1, verse 6, the Bible tells us he's a part of the heavenly court. That's a way of referring to the angels that God created. He was an angel. In fact, the Bible says that he was a cherub or a cherubim. Now, in modern English, a cherub is like that fat little baby with wings. You know what I'm talking about? You see him on Valentine's Day, little Cupid-looking thing? That's a cherub. Not in the Bible. I don't even know how they made that connection because in the Bible, a cherubim is a powerful angel. In fact, you could argue that it's the most powerful of all the types of angels. We'll talk about that in a moment. We learn in Isaiah that the devil's original name was Lucifer. It means morning star, bright shining one, all right? His name was Lucifer. He has a proper name. By the way, we've talked about this many times over. Did you know that God has a proper name? His name is not God. His name is Yahweh. That is his proper name in the same way that my proper name is Dan or his proper name is Lucy. Um, God has a proper name as well. It's true. We just, we, we, we shorten it. Um, I was going to say we're on, a, we're on that kind of relationship, but no, I don't want to say that either. I hope you guys don't think I'm being too flippant about this because I'm not. We're, we're going to talk about how, how seriously we need to take the devil, Okay. Uh, He was originally named Lucifer. Uh, We read in Ezekiel that he was the strongest and most beautiful of all the created beings. He actually was. He was the pinnacle of God's creation. I don't know um, what you think of typically as being like the best or most beautiful or strongest thing in God's creation, but it actually turned out to be this angel Lucifer. It's been theorized that he was the, the archangel. Like he was the one that was in charge of all of the other ones. In 1 Timothy chapter number 3, verse 6, we're told that because of his beauty and his position, he became very proud. That was the sin of the devil, his pride. And so we read in Isaiah 14 that he desired to be worshiped instead of God. He was like, why does he get all the glory? Look at me. Look at what I'm capable of. All these angels are following me. Why not the rest of creation? He desired to put himself in God's place. By the way, that's something we're all guilty of, but we'll save that for another sermon. He desired to be worshiped instead of God. So he led one third of the angels in rebellion against God. These fallen angels are what we call demons. That's what the word demon describes is one of these third of the total angels that followed Satan in rebellion against God. Now, uh, I have no idea. In fact, nobody knows how many angels God created originally. We, We have no clue. It's been like guessed at, but it's only a guess. What we do know is that angels cannot reproduce, okay? They're not men, boy angels, and girl angels, and when they really love each other. Anyway, um, they, don't, they don't make angel children. The, uh, God could theoretically create new angels, bring them into existence. However, we don't have any indication that he does that in Scripture. Rather, what we see is that God created a set number of angels. I don't know if it's thousands, tens of thousands, millions, billions, who knows, but one-third of them followed Satan in his rebellion. You can read about that in Jude 6 and Revelation 12. And then uh, today... In the, in the modern world or, you know, uh, throughout human history, the angel, uh, rather the devil has masqueraded as an angel of light. That's what 2 Corinthians 11 tells us about him, that he can disguise himself and present himself as an angel of light. And the whole goal of his existence now is to wreak havoc among God's children. That's exactly what he exists to do. I'll give you one bonus that's not actually on there. I left it off, but I probably shouldn't have. In Revelation 20, we read that one day the devil will be finally and fully destroyed 
destroyed in the lake of fire. So if you're ever like, well, why would God create the devil and why does he let him still exist? Well, he's gonna deal with them, I promise you. Revelation 20, it's coming. So these are some truths about the devil. Maybe you knew a lot of those. Maybe some of them are new. Now, because of these facts, there are some principles that would be helpful to remind ourselves. So these are just statements of fact. So here are some principles or conclusions that we can draw from these statements of fact. The first thing that we learn from what the scripture teaches, about, teaches us about the devil is that he is not merely an impersonal force or a metaphor for evil. He's not merely, so like, you know, it's, it's pretty common for people to think about the devil as like, oh, he's the dark side of the force. You know what I mean? It's like, no, uh, the devil's a person. He's an individual. He has will. He has agency. He has plans, Okay. Uh, it can also be common in modern times, especially for skeptical people, to say, all right, all right, I know that the devil's not real, real, but he's a metaphor for all the evil that's in the world. I get it, and I, I think you actually could use the devil in that capacity. However, he is not simply that. The Bible presents him as an actual being who is bent on destroying God's good creation. That is his sole goal. Now, we're going to learn that doesn't mean he's responsible for every bad thing that happens in your life. You're responsible for a lot of it. But anyway, um, the, the devil is not just the dark side of the force or some metaphor for evil. The devil is not God's opposite. Sometimes we can think because of other philosophies and world systems and stuff, it's like, God is the yin and the devil is the yang, right? They're equal and opposite. Nah. Okay, so the devil was created. There was a time in which the devil did not exist. There was a time in which there was no devil. Lucifer existed, but the devil did not. There was a time in which none of this was true. That's not, the, that's not true of God. God has always existed. He is eternal. There is never a point at which he was not. There will never be a point at which he was. And as I've already told you, there'll come a day in which there is no devil anymore. So uh, the devil is not God's opposite. I don't want you to think in those terms. That's certainly not biblical. We can also know that the devil is not omniscient, omnipotent, or omnipresent. Uh, those are big fancy words that we use to describe God. If you're unfamiliar, omniscient means knowing everything. Devil doesn't know everything. You realize that? His, lim his knowledge is limited. Now, his knowledge is a lot bigger than any of ours because he's been around a lot longer, okay? However, uh, he does not have God's knowledge. In fact, he doesn't even know most of the things that there are to know. He is also not omnipotent. God is all-powerful. He can do anything. The devil, that's not true. He has limited power. In fact, only the power that's been granted to him. And the devil is not omnipresent. He is just like you and I. If he is in one point of space and time, he cannot be in another point in space and time. He's got to rely on his minions to be out and about doing his work. So this is actually really good news because that means if the devil is attacking me, he ain't attacking you today, okay? He's with me. He's not with you. He's downtown, you're in Airdrie, you're good. No, um, he, uses, he uses his demonic host, okay, to afflict people. But hey, listen, that's a limited number of beings. We don't know what that number is. It might be one for every human. It might be, you know, more or less. We have no idea. However, he's limited. And that actually should give us some confidence. We'll talk about why in a moment. Last two things here. Uh, the devil, his attacks won't always be obvious. Oh, you know, I, I like... The Exorcist and The Exorcism of Emily Rose and all these different things, all these different movies, man. They've given us this idea that when the devil shows up, it's undeniable. 
like weird stuff. People are floating and necks breaking and, you know, multiple voices coming, you know, all of these different things. And listen, that can be a manifestation of the devil, but it's certainly not the only way. And in fact, I would say it's not his primary way of attacking God's children. He's a lot trickier than that, you guys. He's more subtle than any of that. And so if you think he only operates this way, then you might miss a lot of demonic Uh, influence in your life. And then the last thing is this, the devil can be resisted by every Christian. Can be. Partially because he's not omni-anything, and partially because we have been given the power to resist him. Why? Why is all of this true? It's because although the devil is real, the devil is really defeated. Jesus already has victory over him. We read in that main passage today that through the resurrection, Jesus disarmed Satan. He defanged Satan. He captured him and he led him in a victory procession as his prisoner. Although the devil hasn't surrendered. He hasn't given up. He's still fighting. He's still got some of his people on the outside doing his thing, all right? However, he is a defeated enemy. He is a defeated enemy. Some of y'all are getting defeated by somebody that's already been defeated. That's a shame. This knowledge that, yes, evil spirits are real, but they are really defeated. That changes the way that we think about the devil and his attacks on us. So let me give you a few things. First, this might surprise you. We are never told in the Bible to fear the devil. Did you know that? We are, there is nowhere in the scripture where it says, be scared the devil. It just doesn't exist. Um, you know, the, the devil is like big and bad, right? When I was growing up, uh, it, it was just kind of communicated to me that the devil was so powerful and so evil, and I was so weak and sinful that there was no way I was ever going to be able to fend off his attacks. It was kind of like, he's the, he's the final boss, and I've got one hit point. You know what I mean? And it's like, bro, you got to level up before you attack him. The devil is already defeated. We tend to present him as this big baddie. And listen, we're going to see that we've got to respect him. We cannot overlook his schemes and his attacks. But if we're not careful, we can actually give the devil more power and authority than the scripture actually says he's due. That we can fear him when we should not. Remember what we said last week. God has not given us a spirit of fear. And that includes when it comes to the devil. Hello, let's go. Light it up. I don't know what's going on, but it's interesting. When I fear the devil, I confer on him an authority he does not rightly deserve. This is why the Bible tells us not to fear evil spirits. It never says you should be afraid of evil spirits. Now, there is one that the Bible says we should fear. There is one that we are supposed to fear, but it's not Satan, it's God. This is said in several places in the Bible. It's said in the Old Testament, in the book of Ecclesiastes, it's said in the New Testament. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, don't be afraid. Those who only have the power and authority to kill your body, they can't touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body. Fear only only God. What a shame that we would fear devils and spiders and clowns and darkness and not fear the only one the Bible says is worthy of that level of awe and reverence. 
Yeah, there is someone that we should fear, and that's not like a terror. It is like a healthy respect. There is one that deserves that. His name is not Lucifer. His name is not Satan. His name is Yahweh, the only one that I live my life in fear of. So although we aren't told to fear the devil, there are three things that we are told to do when it comes to the devil as Christians. So I want to finish our time out with those three things. We're not told to fear the devil, but we are told to respect the devil and his attacks. Now, not respect him. You're like, dang, boy. No, like respect (laughs) the ability he has to wreak havoc in your life if you let him. First Peter chapter five, verse eight, very famous verse says, stay alert. Watch out guys for your enemy. The great enemy, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We do need to be on guard. You know, Satan's original aim was to take over God's throne. Once he realized he could not do that, he said, all right, what's the next best thing? If I can't be God, how can I hurt God? Then I'll wreak havoc among his children. That is his goal. So in John 10, 10, Jesus tells us that the devil's goal, his aim is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what he does. That's what he wants from you. He wants to steal. He wants to kill. He wants to destroy. But Jesus said, I have come to give life that overflows with God's goodness. Life overflowing. That's what we're all about here. So Jesus says the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I don't fear the devil, but I respect what he can accomplish if I let my guard down. What seems like a harmless bit of flirting turns into a full-blown affair. I make a few small bets. And then before you know it, I've got a full-blown gambling addiction. I gossip about a friend and I lose an important relationship. See, I'm not afraid of the devil because the Bible tells me I don't need to be afraid of him. He's a defeated enemy, but I do respect his schemes. I'm not ignorant of his wiles either. Do you know in the New Testament, we're given a few examples of things that will give the devil a foothold in your life. Some doors you could open to the demonic. So when the Bible lists these doors to the demonic, it's got to be like Ouija boards and heavy metal music and believing in the theory of evolution, right? Those are the things that the devil's going to use to get you, actually. You know what the scripture says is a doorway to the demonic? Pride, unforgiveness, anger. You see what I mean when... We, we tend to think of the devil as like spinning heads and possession and his attacks are so obvious. In reality, it's like somebody cutting you off in traffic and how you respond. That was me stepping on my own toes there. Um, <laughs> the devil's schemes are real and they're really unexpected. He comes at you in ways that you will not be prepared for, ways that will seem like, oh, well, I mean, that's, you know, everybody gets mad when somebody changes lanes without their blinker. Well, actually, that can give the devil a foothold, so you constantly are mad at people and angry at every little thing. The scripture gives us these doorways to the demonic, and they are nothing like the movies tell us they are. So I respect that the devil is tricky. I do. I respect that. And I know if I'm not on guard, if I don't have some boundaries in my life, if I don't recognize that like at any moment I could fall victim to one of his schemes, he might just steal and kill and destroy the things that I hold dear. So we are told to respect the devil and his schemes or his attacks. But not only that, we are warned, not only are we warned to respect the devil, we are told specifically to resist the devil. 
Okay, so we should respect his attacks, his schemes, but we should resist the devil as well. James chapter number four, verse seven, the scripture says this, resist the devil and he will flee from you. I don't know, man. It's like, yeah, I heard this verse when I was a new Christian, but it was always like, that's for, that's for like the saints. You know what I mean? Like, you'll get there one day, buddy. But that's not the way this is presented. In the scripture, it literally says anyone with the spirit of Christ has the ability to resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now, look, temptation is always going to feel like a battle, you guys. It is always going to be a fight. It is never going to be easy, but it is a fight that you can win. You know, the Bible says there is not a single temptation that has taken you except that which is common to all people. Everybody struggles with the same junk, you guys. You're not alone. You're not special. We all have the same battles. And the scripture also goes on to say that anytime God allows a temptation into your life, he will also bring with it a way of escape so that you do not have to give in. It's going to require you to resist. It's going to require you to, to push back against that spiritual attack. It won't be easy, but don't give in. Too much hangs in the balance. Do you realize this? Too much hangs in the balance to give in even in little ways. Like if I can just be real with you guys for a moment, this has been the heaviest season of pastoral ministry I've ever been through in terms of like crisis counseling, families and marriages falling apart, like horrible things happening in people's lives. And I see it week in and week out. It's like somebody, they compromise in just a little way and then it blows everything up. They think to themselves, I'm not strong enough to say no to this temptation. And so they give in and then they lose the things that really matter in their lives. The, the, the things that hang in the balance are way too important to give in to a moment of pleasure or a moment of relief or a moment of cheating, a moment of greed. It's like, no, I, I know what this could cost me. I'm wise enough to see where this might end up leading me. So we're gonna respect the schemes and we are going to resist the devil. The passage says this, if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. He will flee. Not like if you resist him right. Not if you know the magic words. It literally says, that word resist in the Greek, it means to contend. It means to fight. It's like, you're not getting me today. Not today, Satan. We're not doing this. So how can we, I'll just tell you, I'll remind you once more. You are fighting uh, from victory, not for victory. Jesus has already given you the victory. This is a defeated enemy. It's like, I mean, if you had to fight against Mike Tyson, okay, <laughs> not going to be good. I understand that. However, if, not, if some other boxer had already knocked him out, you could probably land a few punches on Iron Mike. Okay, the devil is a defeated enemy. You are not fighting so that you can gain victory. You already have victory. You're fighting from this place of victory. So how do we resist the devil? What does that mean? Well, uh, there are certainly a, a few obvious ways. So the first one is worship. Okay, we worship and worship has a way of reminding us of the truth of God's words, not just musical worship, which is true, but like being here on Sundays, celebrating God throughout the rest of your week. This is worship and worship is powerful. It has a way of helping you resist the devil. Uh, prayer. Listen, these personal spiritual habits like prayer and Bible study and you're like, man, that's so youth group. Okay, fine. Go toe to toe with your spiritual enemy unprepared. 
If you want to do it that way, you can. God bless you and good luck. Um, the, these personal habits are going to be the things that enable you to resist. You remember Darren Scarlett when he preached his five for five message and he talked about the armor of God. He talked about putting it on every single day. Why? Because the devil's relentless. He ain't giving up. So I can't let my guard down, okay? Uh, biblical relationships, healthy community is key to resisting the devil. If you are not in a connect group, I don't, I don't know what you're doing with your life. You need to join a good group. Man, we had last, I was at games night on Friday. It's just board games. Like it's not even that big of a deal, but the values in the relationships. And anyway, um, we had people who showed up. They had never come to a connect group ever before in their entire life. And they showed up on Friday. I had somebody pull me aside in the lobby this morning and they said, hey, is it too late to join your Wednesday group? I'm thinking that might be a good one for me. No, join healthy community. Find people that are gonna enable you to say no to temptation and resist the devil when he attacks you. But there's one more. We're gonna close with this. There's one more thing we are told to do in the Bible when we are under demonic attack. We said we should respect his schemes. We should uh, resist his attacks. But finally, we are told to rebuke the devil's presence in our lives. Twice in the Bible. So once in the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 3, verse 2. And then here in Jude chapter number 9, in the New Testament, we read the phrase, the Lord rebuke thee. I know that's King James, but I feel like if you're, if you're rebuking the devil, you've got to bring in the 1611 language. The Lord, no, you could say the Lord rebuke you. That's totally fine. Um, if you believe that you may be under demonic attack, if you believe that you are being oppressed or afflicted by the spiritual realm in some way, you, through Jesus, if you have accepted Jesus as your savior, you have the authority to rebuke it. But how you rebuke it is key. See, it's not you rebuking the devil in your own power. You know what I'm saying? Like, if, if the devil's after me and I'm like, I rebuke you, Satan, he's gonna be like, bro, I'm the final boss. You got one hit point. They were right. You didn't even know it. But if we follow the pattern that's set in scripture, Old Testament and New Testament, the Lord rebuke you. It's the Lord who has power over the enemy in our lives. He is the one that we turn to. And if we actively resist, if we will forcefully rebuke in Jesus' name, the Bible says the devil will flee. I know that may not have been your experience or you might be skeptical or hesitant that that's even possible, but I'm telling you based on the authority of the scripture that you can be free, that you can overcome the temptations and the addictions and the habits the sins that have been holding you down for years. At the start of the message, I asked the question, when it comes to the devil, should we fear him, forget him, or fight him? And based on what we've read today, we need not fear him, he's a defeated enemy, but we should respect his schemes. We don't need to fight him because Jesus has already fought him in one. Jesus has fought him in one. So I just have to resist. It's not my job to win against the devil, it's my job to resist the devil. And we dare not forget him. We can't ignore him. We can't pretend like he's not there or he's not trying to come after us and our marriage and our family and our church every single day. He is. But we rebuke him in the Lord's name. We operate under the freedom and authority that we have been given as Christ's followers. And we get busy about the Father's mission. That's what we do. At the beginning, I said, C.S. Lewis said, you can either, you know, like ignore the devil or you can give too much interest to him. I don't want us to fall into either one of those ditches. I want us to have a healthy respect for what he could accomplish if we let our guard down and then to commit to not letting our guard down. 
protect your family, protect your soul, protect your neighborhood, protect your home, protect our church. This spiritual warfare stuff is real and you've been enlisted into the army whether you wanted to or not. You got drafted in, sucker. So we've got to deal with that. Thankfully, God gives us the authority. He gives us the power. He gives us the information we need in order to be victorious.